0: Multiple gift lists from our kids, some of them I can't even interpret, of what they want. And uh, this time of year, we think about, you know, the gift that Christ gave to us, and what we're getting for everybody else, and uh, this song's called My Offering, and I'd just like you to contemplate what can we actually give to God, Uh, what can we give to His Son, uh, who did so much for us. There really isn't anything. I I don't think he wants a new Tonka truck, (laughs) Uh, but he really desires our heart. And uh, so even though we don't understand how he could love us this much, um, we want to make sure our hearts are, are the one gift we can give to God. I don't get it. I don't understand the love you have for me, how you keep me each day in your hand. It's something only your I see. It confounds me how I'm in your plan, but it's a truth that I believe. So I give you the only thing I have. It's the love. my heart and mind depleted as to why you die for me let my voice reach to the heavens and take with it my offering and it's amazing how each and every day you lay a And if I travel, keeping on it, your path delivers me. But if I stray or get far from it, your voice begins to call. Just like a beacon, drawing me to it, to restore me when I fall. God, I live. generosity, with my heart and mind depleted, as to why you died for me, let my voice reach to the heavens, and take with it my heart. Take with it.
1: Beautiful song, thank you. I love the words to that song. Brother JB wrote that. He's not telling you that, but I know that God laid that on his heart. And um, the song—it's amazing how God puts things together. JB had no idea what to be preaching about today, but it's truly amazing to think about God's grace to us, what God has given to us, how God has blessed us. The natural outflowing of our heart as a result of God's love and grace toward us ought to be a, for us to give ourselves back to him. He's given us so much, and that ought to be what we give the Lord at Christmas. It ought to be our hearts, ourself, for God to use us. And um, I think a, a good challenge to us, and, and I challenge you today to, to to ask yourself the question, have I given myself my all to the Lord Jesus Christ? We're talking about getting gifts for a lot of people. Perhaps you've got your Christmas gift. Uh, Gifts already purchased, but have you given your heart to the Lord? Great, great song. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I want you to get your Bibles once again. Turn with me, if you would, over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Last Sunday, I sang the song, Mary, Did You Know? And Mark Lowey wrote that song. I like the song. It's a beautiful song. I loved it. I enjoy singing it because of the, it just really gets you thinking thinking about who Jesus Christ is and how the, the dynamics of that, that mother with the baby and thinking about how Mary is holding this little baby that God had blessed her with and how God had enabled her to have this child and to think that she's not just holding the common baby, but she's holding literally the Son of God. She's holding Emmanuel, God in the flesh. And then throughout that song, there's many questions that that, that are written and, and questioning. Could you imagine what it would have been like? I read this week and a, a, a list of, of questions. It was called 25 Questions for Mary. If you stop and think about some things you'd like to ask or how it would have been like to have Jesus Christ as your son. I just want to share a couple of them with you and just think about it with me. For instance, it said, What was it like watching him pray? Can you imagine watching your son pray and knowing that it's literally God there in the flesh? What would have been like? When he saw a rainbow, did he ever talk about a flood? <laughs> you Think about the promise that was made. Did he ever feel awkward, or did you ever feel awkward teaching him about how he created the world? <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? How about this one? When he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter, did he act differently? He'd seen that many times growing up. And knowing that he would be the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, that he came, that he might die for us. How about this? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you are praying was asleep asleep under your own roof? As she prayed, knowing that God was right there? Can you imagine? Did you ever accidentally call him Father? This one's kind of fun. Did you ever think that's God eating my soup? Huh. <laughs> I like to think about stuff like that because you know it, it puts me in understanding where it's more personal for me. When you read the word of God, remember this. These are regular people just like you and I that God used in a great and powerful way. Mary was a young lady. She was a virgin. And yet God was going to use her in a great and powerful way. We look back at it as history now, but for her, Man, I tell you what, what was about to happen in her life was going to transform her life and it was going to go down in the word of God for all eternity and to be in the special place that she had and to think about how that she was there and how she brought that baby into this world and how she was able to hold baby Jesus. But I want to go back before that. Can you imagine what it had been like hearing the announcement that you're going to have a child even before she was married? In our text, we read and find the response it's, it, that we're, we've read here today, the response that she had to what was found in chapter 1, verse 31. I want you to turn back there, if you would. Look at verse number 31. And we see there, the angel had come to her, Gabriel, and behold, he said, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. And here, our text today, verses 46 through 55, is often referred to as Mary's song. The song, it's a prayer that she prays back to God. And Mary, she's overwhelmed in her heart toward God, and in her song of praise for the Lord, it talks about what she's going through and what she's going to go through and what God is going to do through her. In Mary's song of praise, you find several things that in her song that I think would make a good Christmas wish list. Brother J.B. mentioned it earlier about our kids having wish lists. When you were a child, did you ever have a wish list? I remember sometimes I'd get down and start writing those things down of things that I wanted. I'd like to have this, I'd like to have that. You know, you write those things down on our wish list. Let me ask you, if you were to write a list right now, and you were to ask God for something for Christmas, what would it be? I just want you to think about that. I see some things here in Mary's song that would help us to put together a good wish list that we could ask of God. There's many things that we could write from this song, from this prayer from Mary, but I want to just share a few of them today. I want to share just basically three that we could we could have and have on our list as a wish list for Christmas. Would you join me as we have a word of prayer? Lord, I thank you and praise you for who you are. Thank you for being our God. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on Calvary's cross for our sin. Giving us the greatest love gift of all. And Lord, we do celebrate Christmas and we know the reason is Christ. And the reason why you came you might die and the reason you had to die is because the wages of sin is death and Lord there's none righteous no not one we're all sinners we all fall short of your glory what I thank you for sending your son to pay our sin debt that we might have eternal life for all who believed in you what I pray that you'd speak to our hearts what I pray that as Christians today we would desire some things in our life from you Lord, you want us to have these things. I pray that we would be challenged from your word today, from the testimony of, of Mary, young teenage girl, and yet the words that she speaks, Lord, there's so much we can draw from that. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. Challenge us, Lord. May we desire you in our life. May we desire you at Christmas, Lord, that you would be glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas lists. Today I want to give you my Christmas list from Mary's song. And let's look at it. The first one, I I believe it would be a wonderful thing. Things that I want in my life and things that we should desire in our life as a Christian. And the first thing that I see here from Mary, um, I would put on my Christmas list, number one, is a saturation of the Word of God. A saturation of the Word of God. One of the first things we learn of Mary from her song is that we see that she was steeped in the Scriptures. There's no question about that. By the words that she says, we know that she knew the word of God. How do we know that? If you go back and look and you were to compare and look at Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer and Hannah's song that she wrote in 1 Samuel, you see such, I mean, they're they're connected together. Some of the exact same phrases that we see. Many commentators believe that she said these things because that was in her heart because she knew the word of God. She knew Hannah's prayer. It was something that she had learned, something that she perhaps had prayed herself because she wanted to have a baby herself one day. When she got married one day, Lord, I want to have a baby. She knew Hannah's prayer. She knew all how God had answered that prayer. And we see very similar, great similarities here. For instance, in 1 Samuel 2 verse 1, Hannah, she's saying, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. And there in verse number 46 in our text, Mary saying, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Very similar, Hannah, she said this in verse 2, she says, there is none holy as the Lord. Mary's saying, verse 49, holy is his name. Hannah, she said, they that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. Mary, in verse 53, she says, he hath filled the hungry with good things. These are just a few of the examples we see of the the parallels that you see between Hannah's song and Mary's song. And it's obvious that Mary was familiar with Hannah's song. Now, why is that important? Because Hannah's song was scripture, she knew the Word of God as a young lady. As a young lady that was a virgin, she knew the word of God. And even though she was a teenager, she was familiar with the scriptures of the Old Testament. When she breaks out in a phrase the, and breaks out in uh, uh, lifting out up the name of the Lord, these phrases that we see here, we see that she's actually she's going back to it with something that was inside of her heart that came from the words of scripture. The very atmosphere of the Old Testament, it permeates her song. All through it, we see it. Mary was saturated with the Word of God. Let me ask you, do you want your life to be saturated with the Word of God? I do. Is your life saturated with the Word of God? It ought to be something that we desire. We ought to want to be saturated with the Word of God. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, let my life be saturated with your blessed and holy Word. Our life being saturated with the word of God. When you go to speak, what comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your heart? Are you saturated with the word of God? Here we see Mary. As she cries these words out of praise, it comes and it's literally saturated with the word of God. Her mind, her thinking is saturated with the word of God. As the psalmist said, my soul breaketh For the longing that it hath under thy judgments at all times. What the psalmist was saying there is his heart and soul was to be acquainted and familiar with God's word. It was something he wanted to have all the time. And listen, we should be no different. We ought to want to know the word of God, to be saturated with the word of God. That ought to be the longing of our hearts. You see, a life saturated with the word of God it requires some things, though. The first thing it requires is a word that is understood. A word that is understood. By understanding the Bible, I mean that you read the Bible and you study the word of God. Why? That you may know the word of God. That you may be able to apply it to your life. That you may understand what God's word is saying to you. A word that is understood. God wants you to understand the word of God. God wants you to study the word of God. You know the reason why many Christians today are spiritually anemic is because the Bible is neglected. They don't open the Word of God. They don't eat from the spiritual food from the Word of God. You know, the food that we eat for our physical body and for our physical health, the same thing is true with the word of God. The Bible is spiritual food that God wants for us to eat from, that God wants for us to desire and to long after. And the Bible, God wants for us to desire the word of God, that we might eat it and be nourished by it and understand it. You know, as believers, as a child of God, not a day should go by that we don't get into the word of God. Not a day should go by, and yet there are some Christians, they let weeks go by, and they've never opened the word of God. The Word of God is not just to be something that looks good up there on the coffee table in the living room or something that is to go with the Sunday attire that you carry with you to church. No, the Word of God is to be open. It ought to be something that we are longing after, something that we desire after. Just like when you're hungry physically, you want to eat that food. We ought to be hungry spiritually and desire the sincere milk of the Word, a desire to get into the Word of God and to be saturated with the Word of God. What impacts us. It changes us. I love cedar. I don't know about you, but a cedar chest. Anybody have a cedar chest? Have a cedar chest? A lot of you do. I love what you do, when, what happens when you take something and put it inside a cedar chest. You put it inside that cedar chest, and man, it's not very long at all. It, it, that, that stuff that's inside that chest begins to have the smell of that cedar chest. You could open that thing up and you could pull it out of that cedar chest and you could still smell it. I can imagine it right now. It's a wonderful smell. You might not like it, but it certainly permeates whatever you put inside of there. You know, the same thing is true with the word of God. If somebody is... Truly, getting saturated with the Word of God, and they are allowing the Word of God to come into their hearts, and they're reading the Word of God for understanding, and God is speaking to them. It's going to permeate them. It's going to be all part of them. It's going to be what happens out, of, what comes out of their mouth, and the things that they do, the things, places that they go. It's going to have an impact on them. There's literally going to be a, a scriptural aroma on you as an individual. That ought to be our desire. We ought to realize it's a vital part of our life and we need it. We ought to desire to be permeated by it. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, and verse number 27, I want to share with you something that we see there happening. It's an interaction that's happening between Samuel and Saul. And there in 1 Samuel 9 27, we read and as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servants pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while that I may show thee the word of God. Stand thou still for a while that I may show thee the word of God. Listen, all of us need to stand still for a while and take time to learn the word of God. So many Christians today are struggling and failing because they're not taking time and stopping and getting into the word of God. Secondly, a life that is saturated with the Word of God it means a word that is used. A word that is used. Mary not only knew the Word of God, but she also used the Word of God. She used what she knew to verbalize her praise unto God. and her song of praise, it was full of Scripture. Our, Bible, uh, our Bibles are to be more th- than just something that we talk about, but something that literally is words that we use. We ought to be hiding God's Word in our heart that when we are tempted, that we use the Word of God against the devil. When, when we, somebody asks a question, that we can give them a verse that would answer that. When we have something in our life that we're struggling with, that we're able to use the Word of God within our life. F.W. Kropp, the president of the American Bible Society, received a letter many years ago asking a question. He's, the question was this. Listen, he says, What do you recommend for keeping the leather on the back of Bibles from getting stiff, cracked, and peeling? That's a good question. Now, how do you make your Bible last longer that's leather bound? How do you make it? What kind of oil would you recommend? This was his reply. Listen to what he said. He says, There is one oil that is especially good for treatment of leather Bibles. In fact, it will ensure your Bible will stay in good condition, it's not sold but may be found on the palm of the human hand. The oil from your hand on the Bible will make sure that it stays in good repair, is what he said. It's been well said also that if you see a Bible that is falling apart, it usually means that the the owner is not falling apart. Are we reading the Word of God? Do you use the Bible? Do you know how to go to the Bible to find the right answers? You see, we must use the Bible we must use the Bible when we're lonely, when we're depressed, when we're discouraged, when we're confused, when we're needing guidance. I mean, whatever the need that we have in life, the Bible has the answers to life. So let your life become so saturated with the Bible so that in any situation, there's a living source of strength in your life. Are you saturated with the Word of God? Mary was. I mean, she was going through a, a very difficult time in her life. I can't imagine getting the news that she got. We see, though, that she had the Word of God in her life. She was saturated with it. Secondly, another thing we see here that would be on my list that I would love to have from God, love to have it for Christmas, is number two, a magnification of the Son of God. A magnification. A magnification of the Son of God. Listen, I want God to help me to have a worshiping heart. I want God to help me to not just say that I go to a worship service at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but I want God to help me to have a worshiping heart every other day of the week. And yes, then when I come on Sunday to come to a worship service, I truly am worshiping him. I want God to give me a worshiping heart. Listen, I have no room for a dead and dry religion. I don't want to go to some church where all it is is you're going through the motions and people just sit in the pew and they sit there and it's like hitting off a rock and nothing changes and you come in one way and you go out exactly the same. I don't want to have a church like that. I want a church where it is real, where we are seeing that God is lifted up, that we have a heart that is lifting up God, that a people that are saturated with the word of God, a people that are giving honor and glory to God for who he is. In verse 46 and 47 there, notice what she says. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. My spirit doth magnify the Lord. You see, with soul and spirit, she worshipped God. The object and the subject of her worship was the Lord Jesus, the very one that she would give birth to. It's interesting, you look at that word magnify, it means to make or declare great. My soul doth magnify, to make or declare great. With her soul, she was crying out, literally, great is the Lord. There she says, rejoiced. Notice it says, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God. That word rejoice, it means to jump with joy. Joy. Her spirit jumped within her as she thought about the Savior. You know, like Mary, I want to magnify Jesus in my life. Every one of us, we're magnifying something. Someone. But as a child of God, I truly want God to be glorified in my life. I want him to be magnified in my life. Like Mary, I want this on my Christmas list. I want God to be magnified in my life. In the coming year, I want God to be magnified in my life. I don't want to go through a year, a year where I'm magnifying things that don't matter, magnifying myself and putting myself at a place where I shouldn't. I want God to be magnified in my life. I want to lift up the name of God and that we would lift his name, lift him up, that all men would be drawn unto him. I want people to see God magnified in my life. How about you? You want God to be magnified in your life? He's worthy of it. Jesus is the supreme one. In verse 46, she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. That word "their Lord, is actually a title that means supremacy. It speaks of one who is supreme in authority. It speaks of a controller. It speaks of a master. Mary was declaring that Jesus is Lord. She was declaring that Jesus was the master and the controller of her life. I submit unto you that you can't really magnify the Lord unless he is the Lord of your life. Somebody's Lord. Somebody's Lord of your life. Somebody's in control. Is he Lord of your life? You see, when he's in Lord of your life, he's in control of your life. You've submitted to his authority. Have you submitted to the authority of God in your life? Is he truly your Lord? You see, it's only when you have submitted to his lordship that you magnify his supremacy. It's only when we acknowledge who he is and we say, yes, you are Lord, when we magnify the fact that he is who he says he is. If we say that he is Lord and yet he's not Lord of our life, it's not true what we say. Something's wrong. You see, with Mary, may our soul magnify the Lord. Acknowledge him for who he is. Bow to him as your Lord. Surrender your will to his. This coming year, ask that he will be magnified in your life because you're going to say, Lord, I give my life to you. Lord, I surrender it all to you. You are Lord, and I want you to be magnified in my life. Furthermore, Mary not only saw him as the supreme one, but she also saw him as the saving one the saving one. Look at verse 47. She said, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. In God my Savior. Yes, even Mary needed a Savior. Every one of us needed a Savior. Mary, she saw him not only just as Lord, but she saw him as Savior. That means deliverer. Her deliverer. She saw him as the one who would deliver her from the penalty, from the power, and ultimately from the presence of sin in her life. By the way, when a person trusts in Christ as their personal savior, they have been delivered from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, the Bible says, is the wages of sin is death. They've been delivered from having to die and be separated from God eternally in a place called hell. Praise God, when God saved me, he delivered me from that. He also delivered me from the power of sin. It no longer has a bind on me. It no longer holds on to me. It no longer has victory in my life unless I let it have that victory. And one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to being in heaven for all eternity. Yes, my spirit with Mary's jumps within me to think of him as Savior. When I think about what God has done for me, I can't help but rejoice. I can't help but rejoice and remember back to that Sunday night in 1974 when I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. When he became not just the Lord or the Savior, but he came my Savior, my Lord. It's personal for me. You know, Jesus can do a lot of things. I've seen lists of things that he can do. One such list is this. Let me share it with you. He guards the young. He seeks the stray. He finds the lost. He guides the faithful. He rights the wrong. He avenges the abused. He defends the weak. He comforts the oppressed. He welcomes the prodigal. He heals the sick. He cleanses the dirty. He beautifies the barren. He restores the fallen. He mends the broken. He blesses the poor. He fills the empty. He clothes the naked. He satisfies the hungry. He elevates the humble. But I will tell you this. I have to say the greatest thing of all that Jesus Christ does is He saves the sinner he saved my soul not because I deserve it none of us do every one of us no matter how good we try to be we fall short of God's glory we're not righteous we're sinners born into this world we're dead in our trespasses and sin the Bible says I'm so thankful for all that Jesus does and he does so much for me but the thing that I'm so thankful for is his salvation My forgiveness, having my sins covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. Christ came that he might die on Calvary's cross. He would shed his precious blood. Being innocent, never sinning, dying on that cross and paying our sin debt for us. The very thought of Jesus saving me causes me within my heart to rejoice and to jump, to say, yes, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I was lost and on my way to hell, but now I am on my way to heaven. There is nothing that will ever change that for me. I praise God for it. And so on my Christmas wish list, I want to worship God. I want to have a worshiping heart. I want to magnify the Lord. I want to rejoice in God as my Savior. I want for people to see who God is in my life, in the testimony that I have. I want God to be glorified in my life. The third thing that I gleaned from Mary that I want on my Christmas wish list is this, an appreciation for the grace of God. An appreciation for the grace of God. The angel said to Mary in verse number 30 there, he said, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. That word, their favor, just simply means graciousness. Here we see the angel was telling her that she was going to receive a special grace from God. She was a recipient of God's special grace. God was going to give her the grace to go through this. God was going to use her in a great and marvelous way. And understanding how God had shown his grace to her. She says in her song in verse number 48. She says, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. She realized who she was. She saw herself. And she realized that God had seen her where she was. That she was just a, a handmaiden in a low estate. I want you to think about that statement for a moment. Mary was actually speaking about God's grace, I believe. You see, in her words, she was mindful of man's poverty. The low estate of a handmaiden she speaks of, talking about the poverty of man. The words low estate means a depression or humiliation. It speaks of our poverty before God. God is holy. God is righteous. God, he never does wrong. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. We are nothing compared to God. We are sinners. We are lost. We are undone. Mary was aware of her low estate. Not just her physical state, but her spiritual state. She was aware of her spiritual poverty before God. And all of us, we can speak of our lowest state. Each of us were and are spiritually bankrupt before God. All sinners come short of the glory of God. All The, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, it left us with a debt we could not pay. Not one of us could pay. Sin had a firm grip on our lives in that lowest state that we found ourselves in, in the depths of sin. We're bound by it. We're condemned by it. We're lost. We're separated from God. We're dead spiritually. We're headed to hell and destruction. I'm talking about life's destruction and death being separated from God eternally in hell. Bound by that. Listen, if we stop right there, there'd be no hope for any of us. If we all would just realize who we are, before a holy, righteous God, realizing that we're sinners, that we deserve to die and go to hell because of our sin, we would be in such horrible state if we stopped there. But that's where God's grace steps in. That's where God's love steps in. God's mercy. You see, there's not only our low estate, but Mary said that the Lord hath regarded her low estate. The Lord regarded it. And that's where we see, even though we're in the lowest state that we're in, even though we are lost, and even though we are sinners, even though we find ourselves in poverty, figuratively speaking, that we also see God's pity. The words there, hath regarded, God regarded, it means to gaze at with pity. When we speak of God's grace, we're talking about how God has taken pity on our low estate. God saw us where we were at. God saw us in the condition we were in. God knew that we were sinners. God knew every sin I would ever commit, every thought I would ever have that was wrong. God knew I would be born dead in my trespasses and sin. God knew everything about me. God knows everything about you. And he looks down upon us. He sees us in that condition. We think of pity being a bad thing, but in this instance, it's not a bad thing at all. Pity means that God cared for us, that God loved us, that God didn't want us to stay in that condition. When I think of how God has regarded our lowest state, we we can definitely sing as we hear the song that Newton wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Are you thankful for God's amazing grace today? Praise God for his amazing grace. You see, it is by God's grace that he made a way for our debt to be paid. That's why Mary is saying in verses 49 and 50, look what she says. She says, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He who is mighty has done great things. Listen, God has done great things for us and has shown us mercy in giving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our savior, your personal savior. Many years ago, D.L. Moody was a great preacher. He preached all around the world. Well, he was going to London to preach. It had been announced in all of London. It was there a stir that was going on. People wanted to come and to hear him, and they chose the biggest building they possibly could, the biggest church building, and they were going to have him come and preach, and many had come. And On that day, there was a little boy that heard about it, and he wanted to go and hear D.L. Moody preach. He was from a low estate, didn't have all the nice clothes. He lived across London. He, the story goes, he traveled all across London. It took him all day to get there. D.L. Moody was going to preach that night. It was a Sunday night got all the way there and he finally got up and he saw all these steps and he walked up the steps he got up to the door and he's getting ready to walk in there was a man that was there and stopped him he said son where are you headed he said I'm going in to hear D.L. Moody preach he said son look at you, you've got dirt on your face, you've got clothes that are just dirty as could be, son this place is not open for you And he put his arms like this and stood like this wouldn't let him in that little boy He walked down those steps. He went around the building. He tried to find a window that was low enough that he could climb into. The ones that were open were up high. He couldn't reach them. He checked every door. They were all locked. He got all the way to the front of the building again, and he sat down on those steps, and he began to cry. About that time, there was a black carriage that pulled up. There was a distinguished-looking gentleman. He stepped out, and he began to briskly climb those steps. And then as he passed this little boy named Jeffrey, he noticed the tear stains on his face. And he stopped and he said, son, what's wrong? Jeffrey blurted out through his tears, as I came to hear Dr. Moody preach, but the man up there says, I'm too dirty to go inside. The man smiled at Jeffrey and he said, here, take my hand. Jeffrey took his hand with his little grimy hands. Hand in hand, they walked up those steps to the door of the church. When they got to the door, the same man that wouldn't let Jeffrey walk through those doors, he opened the doors up wide and let him walk right into the church. They walked down to the very front row where the stranger seated Jeffrey right there in the front row. And then he stepped up to the platform, walked behind the pulpit, and he began to preach. That man was D.L. Moody. The only reason... Jeffrey was allowed inside that church was because he was holding the hand of D.L. Moody. His acceptance was totally due to another. I want you to think about that today. You know, in much the same way, in our lowest state, we were too dirty to get to God's heaven. We're sinners. We don't deserve heaven. There's no way I could get to heaven no way I could clean it all up. There's no way I could change the clothes, the dirty clothes that sin causes. There's no way that I could somehow appease a holy, righteous God myself. Praise be to God, there's one, the one that reached down out his hand to us in due time, where he allowed us inside, and we see the Lord Jesus Christ was that one. He came that he might die for us. He came that he might pay our sin debt. He came that he might allow his precious blood to wash away all that sin, all that filth off of us. And now I can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, because of the name of Jesus, he tells us to come in his name. And because we're able to go, Jesus Christ, he puts his imputed righteousness upon us. God no longer sees us as that dirty, sinful individual. Once you trust in Christ as your Savior, he now sees us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed upon us, covering us. Because his precious blood washed away our sin. Praise God for Christmas and what it means. That Jesus came to us in our hopeless and helpless estate and he offered his hand. The story of grace is what it is. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Praise God. Now I'm found. I was blind now I see, because of a God that loves us, a God that looked down at us, and God that saw us in the condition that we are and didn't want us to stay that way. Praise Praise God for what Christmas is all about. And so, yes, I'd be happy on my Christmas list that if I would have a life that was saturated by the word of God. A heart that is filled with adoration. To adore him with my life. To lift him up. That people would see God in me. That God would be glorified because of what I'm doing in my life. As God empowers me. And yes, I want to magnify God. And I want to have a soul that is deeply appreciative of the grace of God. Don't ever forget what grace means to you. Don't take it for granted. Christmas time, it's so easy for us to let the whole meaning and reason of Christmas roll off our back. We go through the motions. We go through all the things. And once again, listen, don't let the amazing story of grace get old to you. Praise God for what he's done for you. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray.